Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast with our senior pastor, Ben Martinez. Don't forget to check out our website at calvarychapellubbock.church. There you'll find a lot more about our mission to love God, love people, and live radically. Now here's Pastor Ben. Every one of us, at one time or another, will go through hard times. As a matter of fact, if you think about it, we're still in a season of what I would call hard times physically. People that I love are continuing to get COVID. Now, I thank the Lord that it's not as bad as as it was back in 2020, but nonetheless, we still need to be very, very, very careful. Now, listen, church. I don't know what you're going through at the present moment. It could be a physical trial. It could be an emotional trial. It could be a family trial. Or even maybe tonight you've come here and you're facing a full economic trial. Well, tonight I want to encourage us to find, if you will, the hidden blessings in those hard times. Like the psalmist is going to teach us tonight, when we're afflicted, when we have these um, hard times when, when, when we're stressed, he's encouraging us to look for the blessing. Now, I'm not talking about, you know, well, when things get hard, I just count my blessings. I, I get that. I, I like the old Bing, Bing Crosby and he sings, you know, count your blessings. I love that. But, but this is a lot deeper because, because here's what he's saying. We need to look for the hidden blessings in the midst of trials, in the midst of hard times. And I know it's not always easy, but I know we can find peace. I know we can find comfort, understanding, encouragement, and so much more. But we must be willing to find the hidden blessings in hard times. Now, last week, if you recall, we left off in verse 64. We actually covered three stanzas. I want you to jot that down. You go, what's a stanza? Well, Again, remember, a stanza is made up of eight verses, and a Hebrew letter is actually covering that stanza. Tonight, we're going to try to cover three more, but I just want to remind you that Psalm 119, again, is divided into 22 parts, or 22 stanzas, denoted by 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet. So every Hebrew, we're actually learning Hebrew as we go through. Each stanza contains eight verses. The first letter is the one that, that this, the whole uh, stanza is all about. So we talked, we, we, we were already, we're kind of moving along. We're probably, I don't know, close to, you know, at least a quarter done. But if you're taking notes, here's what I want you to jot down. You know, what's that? The psalm, Psalm 119, encompasses the meditation and obedience to the word of God. That's what it encompasses. It talks about all of us encompassing and meditating and, and being obedient to the word of God. Now, I've got to be honest with you. As I study this psalm, it has done an amazing work in my heart because the psalmist keeps point, pointing back to the word of God, to the word of God, to the word of God. When I'm in trouble, to the word of God, your statues, your precepts, all of these things, and, and I'm thinking... The Word of God is everything. It's everything we ever ever need. 
And yet we will look for other, we'll look for peace and we'll look for comfort and we'll look for joy and we'll look for love in everything else but the Word of God. Well, Ben, man wrote the Bible. Man didn't write. I mean, I mean, think about this. Think about this. We're going to talk about this on, we're going to think about, we're going to talk about this on Sunday. But you understand that in the tribulation, in the middle of the tribulation, there's something called the abomination of desolation. And that's where the Antichrist is going to go in the temple and declare himself God. Okay? Jesus is telling them, when you see this, run to the, he says, run to the mountains. Well, the mountains he's talking about is Petra. And Petra is actually a rock. A giant rock, a giant volcano, but it's a rock and it's fortified. And God's going to protect his people in the rock. And yet, guess what? He has been our rock spiritually. And I'm going, you can't make that up. Somebody didn't sit there and go, oh, let me do this. It was the Holy Spirit. It was God breed. And I thought, wow, isn't that amazing? And all that does is solidify my faith, knowing that there is a rock called Petra. God designed that. And he's going to hide the Jewish people in the rock. And yet today, you and I, if you're born again, you're in the rock. You're covered. You're saved in the rock, the rock of Jesus, the rock of Jesus. So again, looking at the psalm, it just blows my mind. But the last three weeks, we've covered eight stanzas. And one, and I want to remind you, because I think this is key, one of the key applications we learned is that we are to walk in the ways of the Lord. Can I get a good amen? And you go, okay. Now, remember what we talked about. You go, what's that? Well, walking in the ways of the Lord is a habitual pattern of living, a habitual pattern. And we talked about passive habits, and we talked about active habits, okay? Active habits are saying, this is what I'm going to do because I want to grow. Active habit would be, if you want to grow your garden, I know Joe's a, a garden, he's a green thumb kind of guy, he, he doesn't sit there and go, oh, woe is me, I wish my garden would grow. He doesn't do that. He actively pursues, he turns the dirt, or at least he has me turn the dirt. And then he waters, and then he plants, and then he pulls the weeds, and then he does all of these things so he could get a good garden. You understand that, right? That's an active habit. So my question, if the Lord says in a habitual pattern of living, this is how we should live, could I ask you a question? What active habits are we engaging today that would help us walk closer to God? What active habits are you doing? You see, at one time you might go, well, my prayer life was a little kneel. I, I didn't pray as much. I didn't really understand. But now I'm, I'm just a prayer warrior. I pray all the time. That would be an active habit so that you could grow in the Lord. And God does something in our active habits. He grows us up. And as we grow closer to the Lord, what we thought we knew, we didn't really know. Because he grows us so amazing. Oh, I thought I was. Oh. Well, maybe it's not prayer at all. Maybe for some of us, it's, it's a quiet time. And you understand, you understand what a quiet time is. Okay, I don't want to take it for granted. But when you spend time in the Lord, it's not just simply being quiet. Hey, did you have a quiet time? Yes. What did you do? I sat quiet before the Lord. A quiet time is a devotion time where you grow in the Lord. But not only that, there's some things in your life that has to happen in your quiet time. You go, what's that? Number one, you need to let the scriptures read you. 
The scriptures read you, Lord, where am I in this? A second question you need to ask is, what changes do I need to make? What changes do I need to make? This is reading me. I'm a little bit convicted. I don't know if I'm doing this. What do I need to make? And maybe the third question you might want to ask in your quiet time is, how do I make those changes? What do I need to do? Oh, an active habit would be, I'm not going to do this, dot, 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 but I'm going to do this. You see, it's not legalistic at all because all it is is a relationship with God that God wants you to grow. Legalism would be you have to do this in order to please God. You have to. You have to do. Read your Bible or else God's going to be mad at you and he's going to swing his billy club. That's not. That's legalism. We don't play that way. What we do is we go, Lord, I want to grow in you. Tell me what I have to do. What active habits should I do? Read, pray, worship, give, love, share. That's an active habit. We also learned, if you will, and we learned about prayer. The whole psalm is encompassed in prayer. Whenever you hear the psalmist said, I have done this, or God help me do this, he's praying. He's praying. And I'll tell you, in our little church here, the thing that's changed our little church over the past year is our prayer life. As we pray and we seek God, we go, wow. And so we understand this. Prayer is key throughout the Psalms. And if we remember, I want you to see this, when hard times come, what should we do? We should pray. We should pray. Prayer should never leave. This is a hidden blessing, church, when we're afflicted. Pray, pray, pray. What a great thing it is to pray. You're talking to God. And he's listening to you. You see, God's not up there going, it's Ben again. Yeah, uh, what? What? Come on, somebody. God's not in heaven as you talk to him doing this. Uh Uh-huh, what? Nope. Oh, hold on. I've got to take care of something in Israel. Oh, did you see what Michael tweeted? (laughs) Wait, what? We do that to each other, don't we? We're looking at somebody and we're like, yeah, I'm, I'm listening. God doesn't do that. You know what? When we pray, God listens. He listens. He listens. I'm going to bring it up later on in the text, but do you realize that when we go through hard times, the first thing that goes is our prayer life? That's the first thing that goes. I don't understand why. I don't understand why. Maybe because we feel like, well, if God loved me, this wouldn't be happening to me. If God was really God, this wouldn't, I wouldn't be going through this. If God is God, then I would have a better job. If God is God, and, and we forget to pray. We forget to pray. So prayer is wrapped up in all of Psalm 119. So as we come to verse 65, the Hebrew letter, you probably have it in your Bible. If you not, it's teth, T-E-T-H, teth. And teth helps us to find the hidden blessings in hard times. I want you, for just a moment, please don't don't let it trigger you, but think of a hard time in your life that you probably go, I never want to relive that, but it was a hard time. And look back and find the hidden blessings because that's what teth is. 
Teth explores what is good when viewed through experience of affliction. We're going to see that in verse 67 and 71. The Lord's goodness and the goodness of his directions are reference point for the psalmist as now he reflects on how he's learned from his suffering. Five of the eight verses in the standard begin with the Hebrew word tov, often used, translated as good. So you have teth, tov, they're all encompassed. So that's where we are. Let's unpack the ninth stanza, teth, picking it up in verse 65. The psalmist writes, you have dwelt well with your servant, O Lord, according to your word. Teach me good judgment and knowledge. For I believe your commandments, your attention, please always remember when you have the word commandments or statutes or precepts or law, it's all referring to the word of God. The word of God encompasses the 66 books that we have in front of us from Genesis to Revelation, nothing more, nothing less. Other people have come in and added to the books or they've taken away from the books. Ours is from Genesis to Revelation. It's the Torah. It's all of it encompassed right here from Genesis to Revelation. So keep that in mind. The psalmist comes in and he says, listen, you have dwelt well with your servant. And I love this. And I think you should put a giant heart next to it if you write in your Bible. Why? Because the psalmist reminds us of the many good things that the Lord has done for us. And he starts off, you ready? Bum, bum, bum. He starts off with an attitude of gratitude. And I want you to note here, prayer, in prayer, we must always have a heart of gratitude. And I think we should always start off with a heart of gratitude. If we can be honest in church, so many times we start off with all our dirty laundry, don't we? God, give me this and take care of this situation and I need this. And, and, and we start off and we forget that we should have a heart of the, that's a heart of thanksgiving. Prayer should always be and always start with thanksgiving. We should often be reminded, what are we thankful for? What has God done? And, 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 and that should be the heart of our prayer. What has God done that I can be thankful for? And prayer starts off that way. I think relationships work good that way too, don't you? So many times in our relationships with one another, we come in and we simply go, let me tell you this, and you need to do this, and you need to do that. And I think we should be encouragement to our spouse. Good morning. How are you? You doing okay? You're beautiful today. Can you fix me breakfast? No, you know what I'm saying, right? You know, Don't just go in and and say that. But the point is here, we should have an attitude of gratitude. Now, we're going to see that the psalmist is going to go through some hard times. You understand that? Hard times. Can I just say this to you? And I'm going to say it in a Texan Texan style way. I believe we're fixing to go through some hard times. I don't think we're, we're not going to go through the tribulation, but I think we're fixing to go through some hard times, some suffering. I would encourage us to remember this teaching that in those hard times that we would have a heart of gratitude. When I was studying this, it reminded me of one character in the Bible. It was Job. Do you remember Job? In Job chapter 2, verses 8 through 10, you don't have to turn there. He'll put it up on the screen. But Job says this. 
And Job scraped his skin with a piece of broken pottery as he sat in the ashes. I don't think we've ever had that kind of hard times. But there he is scraping the boils and everything. And and there he is in ashes. And his wife said to him, Are you still trying to maintain your integrity? Curse God and die. That's what she tells him. That's what she tells him. Way to go, Job's wife. But Job replied, You talk like a foolish woman. Now, he wasn't calling his wife a fool. You understand that. He said, That's foolish talk. Why? Because he said, Should we only accept good things from the hand of God and never anything bad? So in all this, Job said nothing wrong. That's an attitude of gratitude. Job goes, listen, I've been blessed. I've been blessed. I've been blessed. You know what? We took a shower today. We're blessed. We have a roof over our head. We're blessed. We got to eat today. Hopefully y'all ate. We're blessed. We're blessed. We're blessed. We're blessed. We should have an attitude of gratitude. So that's how the psalmist starts off. He says, you have dwelt well, thank you, Lord, with your servant, according to your word. Now, here's what I want you to see. This is really cool. As I looked up according to your word, these would be the promises of God, according to your promise. You've dealt with me according to your promises. And I thought, isn't that amazing? I love this. Why? I'm so glad that Lord deals with us according to his word. What do you mean? Well, when I see his word, I see mercy, I see grace, I see love, I see compassion. Lord, you've done so, thank you so much, Lord. What an, Lord, what a, according to your word. Well, what are the promises of God? Well, we have so many that we're not going to go through them. But let me, let me give you a few takeaways so you can take home. Let me give you a couple of promises that you can take home tonight. God promised comfort in our trials. He never said, hey, I'm going to take you out of the trial. I wish he would. There are so many times I'm saying, God, get me out of here. Lord, I want, I'm done. I'm, I want to go. But he says, no, no, no. I'm going to, what? well, the, the scripture reference is 2 Corinthians 1, 3 and 4. He has a plan, and one day... He will be able to share the comfort we receive. That's really what it's all about. Some of your hard times is so that you can minister to people as they're coming behind you. Oh, yeah, I know exactly what you've gone through. Let me walk with you, brother. Let me walk with you. And it's that time when you call up and you go, hey, man, I'm really struggling. What did you do? How did you handle this? And somebody can come in, and that's going to be the comfort. Why is that, church? Everybody say, why? Because we think we're the only ones that are going through something like this. We think we're the only ones. We're like, no, it's just... And then you find out a brother or sister has gone through that. My wife loves to minister to cancer patients. She loves to minister because she's been through it. And, and her life is a living hope. You understand and that's what it's a living. And, and so when people go, oh, she can come in and go, hey, I'm, I'm going to offer comfort. You go, Ben, but they still died. Some of them still will die. But it's comfort in the trial. Don't want to get too caught up in this or we'll be here. 
Um, God promises new life in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5.17. Salvation is the beginning of a brand new existence. We can carry that promise. Lord, you've given me a new life. And most of you, hopefully all of us in this room, have experienced that new life. God promised every spiritual blessing. Pastor Sov talked on Ephesians. He said, whereas the Old Testament, Israel was the promise of a physical blessing, the church today is the promise of a spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. Our inheritance is received or reserved for us. Ephesians 1, 3. We are promised the spiritual blessings. Jesus promised rest. That's a good place for an amen. Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30, burdens were lifted at Calvary. Jesus promised an abundant life to those who followed him. So not only do I get rest, but I have an abundant life. Following Jesus brings us more spiritual fulfillment than we could have ever anticipated. We leave boring behind. It's a great life. It's a great life. So God has dwelt with us. Thank you, Lord. We experience the promises of God. Then he says, teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I believe your commandments. Now, there are a couple things we need to unpack. I want you to do me a favor. Circle the word for teach. Why? Because the, the word actually means teach and learn, okay? Because that's what he wants us to do, teach and learn. But if you click on a couple of more times, it actually gives me the word goad. Goad. You remember that? Goad was a long stick, very pointy, that they used to use to get their animals to move. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. And that's how you would get them to move. You would goad, right? Paul tells us that, that he was kicking against the goads he was fighting it and sometimes the animals would fight that they would kick back but i like that word why because the psalmist says goad me teach me help me into good judgment and knowledge and sometimes church let's be honest our walks need prodding into learning and good judgment i'm not a big fan of the message bible but i like what it says here the Peterson prayer phrase says this, train me in good common sense. I'm thoroughly committed to living your way. I like the way it says that. Train me, Lord, in good common sense. That's what he's saying. Sometimes you have to ask the Lord, Lord, do I need a goad? Are you goading me here? Verse 67 says, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I kept your word. Now, this is key, and uh, highlight it, underline it, do something with it. It's amazing, because the first thing we learn is that the psalmist used to wander off. Sound familiar to any of us? We used to wander, right? He would wander off, but honestly, what he says is hard times actually brought me back. Your discipline, O Lord, listen to me, is love. Oh, does God love me? Yes. How do I know? Because he spanks me. That's love. That's love. Love is when you get disciplined. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that God disciplines his kids. If you're not being disciplined by the Lord, 
you might not be his kid. Because God doesn't discipline anybody else's kid. But I mean, think about this. And he says, your discipline is love. And he says, and now, I closely follow your word. I closely follow your word. And you go, well, what's the key? You ready? Obedience. Obedience. Let me just say this. Oftentimes, we find ourselves in some hard times. And what do we do? We have to do a heart check. We have to do a heart check. You go, what does that mean? Well, I want to make sure that I haven't wandered from the Lord. Have you ever wandered from the Lord? You go, no, no, I still get up every morning and I still pray and I still read my Bible, but sometimes we can wander from the Lord by simply exercising a routine in Christianity without absorbing the benefits. What do you mean? You just do a check mark. What would you do? I read the Bible. Cool. What would you get out of it? I don't know. I just read it. Click. I'm supposed to because I'm a Christian. I just read the Bible. I read it. I read it. It was good. And, and we miss it. We're wandering from the Lord. Because when we're reading God's word or we're trying to spend time in prayer, our mind is wandering to all different kinds of things. And we're prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, to leave the God I love. That's, that's my heart. It's my heart. That's why heaven is going to be so amazing because I won't have to deal with the flesh proning and wanting to wonder. I'll be there. Spirit is always willing. Flesh goes, no, you need to stay asleep five more minutes. You deserve this. Make sure we do a heart check. If you've been coming to Calvary long enough, you've heard Pastor Self say, do a spiritual inventory. Check your heart. Where am I with you, God? Where are we? Have I, have I left you? All my Bible students, you'd be thinking of Revelation. You'd be thinking of the church of where? Ephesus, right? Because Ephesus was doing everything right. They were handing out bulletins. They had security. They had everything going. Man, Sunday school ran amazing. They had potlucks that you wouldn't imagine. This is Ephesus. But the Lord says, you left your first love. You're not in love with me anymore. He says, repent. Remember where you fell. So we can do the work of the ministry. And still be wandering from the Lord. That's really good. That's really good. Take that to heart. But the psalmist reminds us, he says, but now I keep your word. So we're called to learn obedience. Okay, but now I keep your word. We're called to learn obedience, but now I keep your word. Sometimes through suffering, and when we do, guess what? We're in good company. You go, why? Have you ever learned obedience through your hard time? You go, yeah. You're in good company. Why? Because the, he, the writer of Hebrews, you can jot this down, Hebrews chapter 5, verse 8, notice, talking about Jesus, though he was a son, he was the son of God, notice it's capital, yet he learned obedience by the things in which he suffered. That was Jesus. Jesus learned obedience? Yeah. How? Through suffering. Listen. 
let us be careful, let us be careful that we don't look at suffering in a prosperity way. Well, I'm suffering, I must not be in a right relationship with God. No, sometimes God will take our hard times so he can grow us up or he can get rid of some of the stuff in our lives. He'll use some of those hard times. And when you come out of it, you're like, wow. I've often said this, I never want to do that again, but I'm so glad I went through that because I've grown so much. But I, don't, don't ask me, Lord, that was... Why? Because when we take a test from the Lord, it's not a pass or fail. It's a growth. So, so you go, well, did I pass? Well, did you grow? Well, I didn't grow. Get to take it again. Get to take it again. It's not a bummer. It's a good thing because the growth is what matters. The growth is what matters. He goes on and he says, you are good and do good. Teach me your statues. Again, think about what he's saying. In the midst of affliction, the psalmist emphasized God's intrinsic goodness and his goodness in his actions. While he usually emphasizes the goodness of God's direction in the psalm, here he focuses on God himself. This is what he says. He says, God, you are good. You are good. How many of us ever use that God is good, but we, we're, we're not sure if we really mean it in the midst of something very hard? Somebody calls you up, sister in the Lord calls you up, says, man, I'm, this has happened, my husband, blah, 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 and just, and just, and your response is God is good. Do you mean that? Is God good? The psalmist says, hey, in the midst of hard times, God is still good. He is good. And one thing we must remember is that in him is no darkness at all. So he doesn't think like you and me. He's he's not sitting there with evil plans to destroy us. There's no darkness in him. There's no evil in him. He's good all the time. You go, well, what's a better question to ask? Lord, what should I learn from this? What, What can I learn from this? What can I learn from this? Every one of us should be teachable all the way up into death. What can I learn? What am I supposed to learn? The more you learn in God's word, the more you realize you don't know God's word. I know it. No, no, they're so deep. It's so deep and so rich. And he says this, teach me your statues. You guys see that in your Bible? Guess what that word is? Could be goad. So goad me, what? Goad me if I need, goad me if I need to study your word. If I need to study your word. Church, it's not enough to simply read the Bible. Let me just say this again. It's not enough to let the Bible read you. God calls us to study his word so that we can grow. That's part of the, that's part of the plowing. That's part of the um, cultivating. That's part of the watering. That's, that's a study of his word. It's a study of his word. Verse 69 says, The proud have forged a lie against me. But I will keep your precepts with my... Oh, this is so good. This is so good. You know what he's saying here? The godless spread lies about me. But I will keep your precepts with my whole heart. You guys want to circle whole heart? It means all of you. 
You remember how they used to say it was your inner being? It was, it was the, the bottom of your belly with all of me. And that's really what it's saying. It's saying, you know what? Listen, he says, the proud, oh yeah. The godless, they're talking trash on, about me. They're saying stuff about me. The people at work, they don't like me. But you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to obey. I'm, I'm still going to obey God with all my heart, with all of me. I'm just going to obey the Lord. Your boss comes up to you and says, hey, you need to do this, you need to do this, and it's contrary to the word of God. You know what you say? I'm going to obey the word of God. Because the psalmist reminds us there's power in the word of God. If you're taking note, jot this down. This may be the only explanation of the sources or, or, the, or the explanation of the source of the psalmist's suffering of hard times. In other words, it doesn't tell us that he um, he's, has an economic problem. It doesn't tell us if he has an emotional problem or a spiritual problem. It just basically says they're, they're telling light. The godless are spreading lies. They're, the proud have forged a lie against me. Godless people are spreading lies about him. What are they doing? What happens when they spread a lie about you that that's not true? They ruin your reputation. Or they try to. And I was thinking about this. This could even be a friend that's being two-faced. You ever have those? You ever have a friend that's talking, ooh, hey, you're awesome, well, wonderful, and then they turn around and behind your back, oh, well, they're awful and they don't do their job and, and all this. I mean, they're, they're just spreading lies. And, well, the Bible's not relevant. No, it's very relevant. The psalmist knew exactly what he was talking about. And then he goes on in verse 70, look at this, their heart is as fat as grease. <laughs> I'm like, wow. He says, but I will delight in your law. Well, you go, what does that mean? Well, I looked it up and it says their heart is dull, fat, and cannot digest the word of God. You understand what he's saying? He's saying the godless, the worldly people are not going to understand why you are so committed to Jesus and to his word. They're not going to. And when they tell lies, don't be shocked. That's what they do. As a matter of fact, their heart is as fat as grease. Now, I wouldn't suggest you go to your coworker tomorrow and say, your heart is fat as grease. You need Jesus. I'm not talking about that, but it does say that it's hard for them to digest the word of God. Have you ever witnessed to somebody who is not a believer? And it's, it was like, oh my gosh, they don't, they don't see, they're not getting this. They can't digest what's coming on. And it seems like when you share God's word, all they want to do is fight you. That's what he's saying. But he says, you know what? I love this. But I delight, circle that word for delight, because I will dance to the tune of your word. I will dance to uh, delight. Okay? Treat yourself. Guys, come on. This is what he's saying. He goes, listen, they're not going to absorb what I'm saying. I'm going to go get ice cream. I'm going to enjoy my life. I'm going to enjoy the word of God. It is good for me that I have been afflicted. Look at verse 71. How many of us have ever woke up and said that? None of us. It is good that I've been afflicted. I've never said that. But here's what he says. The reason that he it's good, he says, 
because I may learn your statutes. The law of your mouth is better than the thousands of coins of gold and silver. Basically, the psalmist is repeating himself. He says, my suffering is good for me. It taught me to pay attention to your word, who you are, and what you say. And if you have a pencil handy, I want you to see that word afflicted. It is good for me that I've been afflicted because it also means humbled and it also means humiliated. There are times when we're humbled. And here's what the Bible says. The Bible says, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. I'd rather take that proactive stance and say I need to humble myself than allow the Lord to humble me. He's very loving, but if I'm just I need to humble myself. It is good. So it's good. Listen, church, this is this is not something we put on our work key. It's good sometimes when you and I go through a hard time. Because it brings us back to you in a real and awesome way. It's good. We all want cruise control, easy street. We want that. We, Lord, my life, I really, I just want to, I just want to cruise control, but I want you to think of the afflictions throughout your life and how they brought you to your knees closer to Jesus. I didn't say it was fun and I didn't say you would enjoy it. I'm saying, okay, there was purpose in it. There's purpose in it. Think about what the writer of Hebrews says. He says in Hebrews chapter 12, 10 through 11, you can jot this down for notes, but he says, For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them. But he, for our profit, we may be partakers in his holiness. Now, no chastising seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained on it. And again, nobody stands up and goes, yay, I'm being spanked or I'm going through a hard time or I'm really stressed out. We don't do that, but we understand that no chastening seems to be joyful. You're not excited about it, but nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness. Oh, that's why. That's why. That's why. He talks about truth in your word means more. He says truth in your word means more to me than all the gold and silver, all the riches. He said striking it rich in a gold mine, nah. The truth in your word. Listen, riches come and go. Riches come and go but a peaceful, wonderful, godly, fulfilled, purposeful life is found in God's word. You go, well, Ben, what happens if, I, if I'm trying to make money? They come and go. And what the psalmist is saying, listen, he says, truth, learning truth in your word is far more valuable to me than all the gold in the world. All the gold in your world. Now, Before we move on, okay, that's the first stanza. Let me say to you that not all suffering and hard times bring us back to the Lord. You see, I've sat in this very room with many who have come to the end of themselves. They're broken, they're crying. And I'm not talking just a little bit of tears. I'm talking 
grown men, ugly cry, snot everywhere. They're going through a really hard time, and I'm sitting here praying for them. And I say, you know what? The answer is the Lord. Do you need to come back to the Lord? And they say, yes, yes, that's what I need. And over time, when things get better, they leave the Lord and go back to the ways of the world. So not every suffering is going to bring somebody. They will for a moment. But the psalmist here says, I understand the hidden blessings. You see, we have to search for them. We have to find the hidden blessings in the hard times that keep us close to the Lord Jesus. We have to find that. Now we move to the 10th Hebrew letter, the 10th stanza. It's a smaller letter. It's Yod, Y-O-D, Yod. And it reflects the smallest letter in the alphabet. It's kind of like a comma. Do you guys remember in Matthew, Jesus was speaking in Matthew chapter 5, verse 18. He says this, For assuredly I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, not one jot. Do you guys see that? That's yod. Not one yod, not very small jot or tittle will by no means pass away till all the law is fulfilled. So it's a very small letter. Now, Jesus wrote to the Jewish people so they would know what a yod is. They'd be like, oh yeah, not, not one yod or, or tittle would be passed away. And, and so we miss it because we have commas and, and whatever it might be. But the stanza of yod reflects the psalmist's experience now in those hard times in terms of how other people would receive it. So point number one, you find the hidden blessings in your hard times, but now you're going to see in your hard times how somebody else is going to react, how they see that. You're like, oh, oh, cool. Let's go. Let's go. Verse 73. Your hands have made me and fashioned me, giving me understanding that I may learn your commandments. And again, what's he doing? Guys, if you understand, he starts off with a prayer. Your hands have made me. They have fashioned me. Give me prayer. But I want you to know, what's he doing? He's praying, and he's thanking God for creation. God, you created all things. You created me. You created me. You fashioned me. And Lord, because you did that, give me understanding. You know what that means? It's a sense to follow your commands. Give me common sense. Give me good sense to follow you. One commentator wrote this. As God made, so he can best control us. So as to Israel, he owed to God his whole internal and external existence. So in other words, we sit here and we go, God, you created us in the Imago Dei. You created us in your own image. You created us. All to you, I Oh, Very good. All to you, I And that's what he's saying. That's what he's saying. Give me understanding. Give me sense. You've made this. And then he says, verse 74, those who fear you will be glad when they see me. Do you guys see that? Because I've hoped in your word. If you have a pencil handy, the word for fear there is just that reverent fear. It's not, oh, I'm afraid, I'm afraid. God's a big God, he's an angry God. Those who have reverent fear are going to be glad when they see you. You go, no, I don't want them to see me. I'm going through a hard time. I'm going through a trial. I'm going through stress. Are you kidding me? I don't want this. But I want you to catch it. When they see us, come on church, waiting, praying, 
expecting your word. God, you're going to answer me. Those who fear will take heart and be glad. Wow. 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 Church, listen, jot this down. Our goal is not to misrepresent God in any way. We don't want to misrepresent. We are called to represent him well. And even in a hard time, we don't want to misrepresent him. And that's what he's saying. This is what he's saying. He said when people, and you go, what does it mean? Well, again, more notes. You ready? This should be encouragement for others. This should be encouragement for others. As they look at our lives, what do they see? Are people glad when they see you? Not that you're going through a hard time. Well, I'm glad you're going through a hard time. That's not me. Or are they looking at you going, wow, you're really going through a hard time and you're praying and you're faithful and you're, wow. And I don't mean to say this is just, just nonchalant, but, it, but if you can do it, I can do it. Because the same Holy Spirit that lives in you lives in me. And I was glad when I saw you because I thought you were going to be out of it. Listen, in and of myself, when I go through hard times, when I go through hard times, if I represent the Lord well, it's because my foundation is deep. If I misrepresent the Lord, it's because I don't have a good foundation. I hadn't been in his word. I haven't been walking close to God. That's in anything. That's in anything. Let me ask you a question, church, since you're sitting there. Has not God sustained us in all of our lives? Has not. You're here today. Why? Because God has sustained you. He loves you. He's blessed you. That should be an encouragement to others. But wait a minute. How does the encouragement come? Here's what he says. Because I have hoped in your word. You see, he's not saying, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm really glad you're encouraged when you see me because I have, I have it all together, man. I have it all together. I know what I'm doing. I know where I'm going. I got my goals. I get up every morning and... He says, because I've hoped in your word. The very essence of me belongs in your word. And that's what I keep telling you. It's transforming my heart as your pastor. And I'm going, we need to be in God's word. His word is life. His word is, I mean, he's always pointing back to God's word. Because that's going to bring the encouragement. We've put our hope in his word. So you're going through a hard time. Someone comes up to you and goes, wow, I didn't expect you to be so joyful in the midst of this, this crisis, this crazy thing. I'm sorry. Uh, and how do you find hope? You find hope because what you're doing is now you're giving them God's word. Well, let me tell you what God says about this. You know why I'm so joyful? It's not that I'm, I'm enjoying the circumstance I'm in. It's not that I'm excited about the trial. I don't like it, but I'll tell you what, God is good. And he's never let me down. And he loves me so much. And he can do the same for you. Really? But I'm not going through a trial. Not right now. But maybe you will. Maybe you will. That's where hope comes in. Because you're putting your hope in his word. And when people talk to you, you're giving the word. Look at verse 75. Oh, I know, O oh Lord, that your judgments are right. And in faithfulness, you have afflicted me. Let, I pray, your merciful kindness be for my comfort according to your word to your servant. Guys, you ready? Jot this down. A hidden blessing in the midst of hard times is comfort. 
And the psalmist knows it and he asks for it. He asks for comfort. Lord, I know that your regulations, I know your judgments are fair, he says. You disciplined me because I needed it. Now let your unfailing love comfort me just as you promised. That's what he's saying. That's what he's saying. Now, one thing I want you to see is God will use your hard times for the good, for your benefit. Yet during those hard times, you can come to the Lord for comfort. That's a big difference. It's a big difference, church, because when, I'm, when I have a hard time, I ask God to take it away. Forget comfort. Take it away. I don't want to be in this. But God says, no, no, come and ask for it. God, would you just, in the midst of this trial, whatever it might be, maybe you have a prodigal son, a prodigal daughter, maybe you have, maybe you have some things you're dealing with right now, ask God for comfort. God, just bring peace and comfort in my life. Just bring peace and comfort. Well, what does the word comfort mean? Well, you can circle that because it means consoled. It means compassion. Lord, I need, I need some consoling. I need some compassion. I need that, Lord. Let your tender mercies come to me that I may live, for your law is my delight. I want to show you another hidden blessings in the midst of hard times. Another hidden blessing is that God is a personal God. How do you know that? Because the, the psalmist says, let your tender mercies come to me. Me. Although God is out governing the universe, he's, he's amazing, he's, he's beyond comprehension, he's personal. He's Yahweh. He's Yahshua, he's Jesus, he's personal. He's personal. Can I ask you a question, church? Is God, is the Lord Jesus personal to you? Is he really personal? Is he like, I mean, it's like he's, you're walking with him and talking with him, like he's one of your best friends, the Lord. Because he's that personal. Do you acknowledge him? Thank him. Invite him in your car with you when you go to the grocery store. Do you invite him wherever you're going? Lord, will you come with me? Just come. Come on. Well, Pastor, he's living in me. I know, but, but it's so personal. I want, I want the Lord Jesus. He says, your law is my delight. Do you guys see that? Your law is my delight. You can circle the word for delight because it actually means enjoyment and pleasure. And I thought about this. The word of God should be pleasurable, should it not? The word of God should be enjoyment. When is the word of God not enjoyment? When is the word of God not pleasurable? I'll be honest with you. When I'm, when I'm running from God, when I'm playing with fire, come on somebody. When I'm dancing close to sin, the word of God's not pleasurable. As a matter of fact, it was D.L. Moody who once said, the Bible will keep you from sin, or sin will keep you from the Bible. I thought that was a pretty good quote. If you're reading your Bible, you're going to stay away from those things. If you're not, guess what's going to happen? And then you start to sin. The last thing you want to do is come to church. The last thing you want to do is read your Bible. The last thing you want to do is spend time in the Lord. Why? Because he's going to convict me. Yes, he's going to because he loves you. He's going to spank you. It's a good thing to be spanked by the Lord. But it's an even better thing to not want to even get in that place. In that place. Let the proud be ashamed. For they treated me wrongfully with falsehood but I will meditate on your precepts. Again, this might be the hardship of the, of the psalmist. He might go, hey, listen, um, the psalmist begged God to put the wicked to shame. And later he says, I'm, I will not be put to shame. Look at verse 79. Let those 
who fear you turn to me, those who know your testimonies. Let my heart be blameless regarding, regarding your statutes, that I may not be ashamed. And again, he says, let me be united, I love this, with all who fear you, with those who know your laws. I like that, because he's saying, we're a family. We're a family. Let me be united with the family of God. Let my heart, notice, be blameless. Guys, look at that word. Here's what he's saying. Here's his prayer. Let my heart be blameless. I looked up that word blameless, and here's what it means. It means sound, truth, and undefiled. I want my heart to be sound. I want my heart to be truthful. I want my heart to be undefiled. Church, listen to me. What are we allowing in our hearts that's defiling our walks with God? What are we allowing in our hearts? Because the psalmist says, may I be blameless. Nothing sticks. That's what he's saying. Now we come to the 11th stanza, the 11th Hebrew word, and that's kaf, K-A-P-H, kaf. And this focuses on a sense of longing and desperation, okay? He asked the Lord to help him escape his persecutors that we've been talking about, but emphasizes that he has not stopped following God's direction even though he's suffering, and that's what's key. We're going we're gonna to finish this up here with that one, okay? And uh, if you look at... If you look at the Hebrew word for cough, it actually looks like a palm. It's, it looks like this, and, he, and, and basically it's like a palm reaching out to God. I thought that was really interesting. But what we understand is in these, this next stanza is that affliction continues. Hardship continues. His opponents are the same. The suffering is unmerited. Hey, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not sure why they're doing this. And he has reached an end of the endurance. Notice what he says in verse 81. My soul faints for your salvation but I hope in your word. My eyes fail from searching your word, saying, when will he comfort me? And this is amazing. Why? He loves the Lord so much. Here's what he says. I'm worn out waiting for God to rescue me. And yet, his hope is in his word. Ever been there? Lord, please. But your hope is still in his word. See, this is, a, this is a prayer, guys. This is a prayer of desperation. Do you hear this? It's desperation. But what I want to show you is the psalmist is desperate, yet he's not in despair. As a matter of fact, think about this. Paul, in writing to the Corinthians, chapter 4, verse 8 and 9, says, We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, yet not in despair. We're persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. This is exactly what he's saying. He's saying, listen, sometimes I pray a prayer of desperation, but I'm not in despair. Sometimes I feel like I'm being crushed and being pushed in on all sides. But, but guess what? I'm not forsaken, I'm not struck down, nor destroyed. And then the psalmist goes on and he says, My eyes hurt so bad as I search in your word. That's something you need to jot down. That's something you need to highlight. That's something we need to take to the Lord. Why? Because I wonder, have we ever been in the place where we've searched God's word so much that you're like this, oh, I can't look anymore, but I'm searching for it. This is what the psalmist says. The psalmist says, my eyes fail. They're blurry. 
And I keep asking God, when will you comfort me? And I keep looking and I keep looking. I keep looking. Listen, church, we live in a very microwavable world. We want something done. We want it in 30 seconds and we want it over with. And God says, that's not how I work. Search me. Knock. Keep finding. Look, 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 look. Now, why would he say this? Well, I want you to know. He says, for I've become like a wineskin in smoke. Yet I do not forget your statues. How many more are the days of your servant? How long am I going to live, he's saying? When will you execute judgment on those who persecute me? The proud have dug pits for me, which is not according to your law. Here's what he says. Man, I feel like I'm shriveled up like a wineskin in smoke. But I've not forgotten your... He's, how long must I wait? How long must I wait? Have we not asked the Lord that? How long, Lord? How long? He says, as a matter of fact, these people, these arrogant people, they hate your instructions, and they've dug a trap for me. I hear some great application for us. You ready? Even though the psalmist faces dangers, he remains loyal to God's direction. He asks God to help him in the, that he might continue to love him and follow his directions. Even though it's a hard time, even though there's affliction, even though there's persecution, he says, okay, Lord, um, I'm still going to be loyal to you. I'm still going to be loyal to you. Okay, we're going to finish the last two verses. All your commandments are faithful, he says. They persecute me wrongfully. Notice, help me. I love that. They almost made an end of me on earth, but I didn't forsake your precepts. Revive me according to your loving kindness so that I may keep your testimony of your mouth. It's almost, I want you to see this, 86 through 88, it's almost like the psalmist is reaching out saying, God help, God help, God help. Think about your little one. Think about your little one when he comes Help, help, and he reaches up to you. That's exactly what the psalmist is doing. Help, mama, help, daddy, help. And he's, and he's doing this. She's doing this. Think about your little one when they're scared, really frightened, and they come running with both hands up, running to jump into your arms. Where, why? Because they find peace and comfort in your arms. And that's how us, listen, when your little one who's scared, when your little one, and you know he's really, you're not, he's not playing you, he's really frightened, and he needs that mama's hug, or he needs that daddy's hug. You know that? Not a one of us parent go, oh, stop it. Behave, you don't. We, we hug him and go, I got you. I got you. It's okay. It's okay. And they might be scared for a little while. They might be shivering, and they're really scared. And and what do you do? You hold on to them until your arms hurt. You're holding on to them. That's your baby. And that's how God looks at us when we cry, Lord, help. Lord, I'm going through some stuff. Lord, I'm struggling. God, help. And he says, I got you. I got you. I got you. Lord, I'm I'm really scared. I got you. And maybe tonight you need to feel the Lord's loving arms around you. And maybe that's where you were at. Maybe that's where we're at. The psalmist says this, and, and we'll close with this. 
the only thing that has kept him, kept him going, even though he's scared or freaked out or whatever you might want to be, or he's crying out to God, was the word of God. The word of God. So that I may keep your testimony of your mouth. Lord, I'm going to just keep trusting you. I'm going to keep telling people about you. When we are in a trial, a hard time, stress, look for the hidden blessing so that you can grow. And I promise you this, every one of us in this room have gone through hard times, but we, they, they eventually went away. It was hard at a moment, at that moment, might have lasted for a week, a month, two weeks, whatever it might be, but eventually you could breathe again. Look for the growth in that. Maybe God is calling some of you to go back in your life and look at some of those hard times and then pick out some growth stuff. You haven't done that yet, but maybe he's calling you to do that. It is good, Lord, when you afflict me. Bring me back to your word. Father, we thank you tonight, God, for your word and the truth in your word. We thank you, Lord, that the psalmist is pointing us continually to your word. And Father, I actually believe it could be deeper than what we're even talking about. I mean, the psalmist says, Lord, that he feels like like smoke. Lord, that shriveled wineskin and smoke and just... But he says, I've not forgotten your decrees. Father, I pray for everyone here, Lord. Maybe they're feeling that way. Whatever trial or tribulation it might be, that, Lord, that you would just sustain them, bring them peace, bring them comfort, help us to see the hidden light. Lord, it's easier said than done. And so we ask through the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord, that we would do that. Father, I pray that none of this brings up triggers, that brings us to a place where we're, we're an emotional wreck, but that we can learn and we can grow closer to you. And this would produce growth in our lives. And so that we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. We hope you enjoyed today's message. We'd love to hear from you and see you in person at the church. You can find our contact information, location, and even give a donation at calvarychapellubbock.church. We'll see you next time on the podcast. Until then, may God bless you and your family.